If you're anything like me, you've probably thought that physical therapy is really only relevant after a major trauma, like a car accident or a stroke. Today, Dr. Katherine Noonan is here to tell us how physical therapy helps keep children fit, keeps farm workers harvesting crops year-round, even manages pain to avert the opioid crisis, and of course, keeps desk jockeys like myself sitting up straight. Dr. Noonan is a certified specialist in pediatric physical therapy. She's also assistant professor of physical therapy at Campbell. And today, she is our guest on season two, episode three. I'm Kate Stoneburner with co-host Billy Liggett, and this rhymes with orange. So Catherine, just to start, we would like to know how you got started in the physical therapy field, and then more specifically, what brought you to Campbell in Blues Creek? Um, okay, well, the, <laughs> the story of how I got into physical therapy is kind of a long one, but uh, I'll see if I can get you there quickly. Uh, I was an English major, and I went to school in New York State, and then I went into publishing and worked in New York City for a while. And that sounds really cool, but it, it wasn't actually that enjoyable. Um, and I realized after doing that for a while that um, I wanted a job that was more physical, and mm-hmm. I wanted a job where I felt like I was making more of an impact on people who really needed help. Um, and so that sort of led me to physical therapy. Wow, that's quite a switch. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and then from New York to North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, um, just sort of a random series of occurrences, but, but North Carolina is beautiful and has lots to offer, so I ended yeah. up here. Perfect, well, glad to have you. <laughs> and your specialty is pediatric physical therapy. That's correct, yeah. And we're definitely going to get into that with you. We want to hear about all the programs that you are teaching slash a part of, but Billy and I um, kind of followed some physical therapy students from Campbell out to a field recently (laughs) to um, watch them examine migrant workers who they are voluntarily voluntarily treating out in the fields, and we heard that you are part of that program, so we were hoping that you would maybe do a little better job explaining what those students are out there doing and what program, how the program works. Yeah, so... Um, Campbell PT got involved uh, a few years back, probably maybe the first year that I worked here. I've worked here about five years. Um, And we actually learned about the program from the folks at UNC's physical therapy program. And this is a mobile farm workers clinic, and it is kind of a cooperation between Campbell University, UNC Chapel Hill, and uh, the North Carolina Farm Workers Project. So the North Carolina Farm Workers Project is a nonprofit, and there's Um, It's called slightly different things around Mm -hmm. the state, but there's different um, divisions of it throughout the state. And it's a nonprofit organization dedicated to addressing the needs of migrant farm workers. Um, So they have this mobile clinic where they go out to farms and um, provide different types of care to the farm workers. Um, But obviously, uh, this chapter, which is located in Benson, that's pretty far from UNC. So although UNC's medical school is still involved, um, we sort of took over the physical therapy part of it. And so we've been participating now for about four or five years. We generally go out about once a month, sometimes twice a month, between April and October, because that's sort of the farming season here. So, uh, yeah, so like, as Kate said, uh, we actually accompanied some of these physical therapy students out there a couple weeks ago, and it was fascinating. Uh, yeah. Not only just the experience of um, of seeing the migrant worker camp and seeing living conditions, and, and we talked to a lot of these people and talked about, you know, the physical demands of their jobs, and what was just really amazing to see 
was doctors from uh, student doctors from different schools and physical therapists were uh, out there giving them health care that they don't normally get and uh, they seemed very appreciative of it and very and it seemed like just one of those projects as you're watching it you're telling yourself this is a very good thing and uh, um, it's really cool to see the Campbell students involved in it and it looked like that they got more out of it than just experience what, what do you think they get out of it? Um, well, number one, I would say they get a greater appreciation of the value of their education. Um, I think they really see in a deeper way, some of them really for the first time, how much of an impact their education has the potential to make on people. I think one thing we all struggle with, you know, professors, students, is that it's kind of a drop in the bucket. Um, these guys need a lot more care than we are able to provide. So I think sometimes that's eye-opening uh, for our students and a little troubling, but but they also do see the impact or the potential impact that they can have. I think another thing that they really develop a, a broader understanding of is what it means to be in a rural community. So a decent proportion of our students are from rural communities, but even the ones uh, who come from rural communities if they participate in that experience, they, they leave it with a deeper understanding of who actually is part of the rural community and how does the rural community subsist, right? It, if you live in a rural agricultural community, there's all these players involved and a lot of them, like the migrant farm workers, are pretty hidden. Right? Mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't really know that all these guys are out there necessarily um, working on these fields. So I think that's a big thing. And then I would say the third thing is that our students walk away with um, a deep desire to do more pro bono work and to increase their Spanish language skills. Yeah. That yeah, Definitely, because <laughs> that was... there were only a few of the students could speak Spanish, and, mm -hmm. and uh, the other ones looked like that they really wanted to <laughs> at that time because they were going over their list. This word means back, this word beats yeah. foot, and... and uh, I could see the value in that. And what about for yourself, um, since you've been involved with it? What uh, uh, Obviously, there's a um, professional um, satisfaction you get for it, but personally, um, why do you like being involved in it? Well, I think part of the reason that I came to Campbell and part of the reason I stay here is because I believe in our mission, which is to improve healthcare uh, for people in rural communities. And I think I've always had an interest in um, helping the underserved. So... I would say that's a big part of it. Um, I also like real life. So um, even in some of the pediatric settings where I've worked, some of my favorites have been uh, seeing patients in their homes or seeing them in school because I like to see people kind of in their, in their real life. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that we can continue to make the program better. So I think that's another reason that I stay involved just to try to improve it a little bit each year. Um, but I should also say that it's really grown. And the first year I was the only PT professor that participated in it. And now we have at least 50% of our faculty involved, which is really great. Wow. Um, so we have people with musculoskeletal specialties, cardiopulmonary specialties, geriatric specialties, myself, pediatric specialties, um, all going out there. Some of us speak Spanish, some of us don't, um, but we've really adopted it in the program, which is great. Go ahead. I have to ask if you speak Spanish. <laughs> I speak a little bit. Okay, I, I, I mostly use the help of the interpreters while I'm there just sure. so I don't make mistakes and so I communicate better. Um, I, I like to say I 
speak like a kindergartner. <laughs> I'm on that level. Sounds good. Prior to participating in the farm workers clinic, I didn't really have much knowledge about big, large scale agriculture. Um, I didn't grow up really in a rural community. So I've learned a lot about how these farms operate and what it's like um, on them just by participating in this program. And so it was interesting for me to learn that oftentimes these uh, farm workers are coming to the country, coming to work on these farms um, because the farmers and landowners aren't able to fill those positions with domestic labor. And so they apply for what are known as H-2A visas. And those are visas that foreign workers get um, to enable them to work here. And um, so it's uh, there's kind of this whole system where there's folks in Mexico or Central America that kind of act as agents um, and kind of help these guys get to the country. And then, you know, sometimes their transportation costs are covered by the farmer, sometimes they're not. Um, but interestingly, you know, many of these gentlemen have been returning to the same farm for many years. In fact, even sometimes they're the children of people that have been coming to the same farms. And um, typically they get paid by, um, by the piece. So, um, there's some, you know, weighted measurement of, of how much they pick, um, if that's sort of their job on the farm. Um, and so that also kind of creates issues for us as physical therapists, because, um, typically they'll have one side that's more dominant than the other. And over the season, it wears out with repetitive use. Uh, and we try to get them to use their other side, but they don't want to do that because it slows them down. So we, um, we'd like to be able to do a lot more preventative education uh, to sort of help prevent those issues. Um, You're being attacked by a gnat right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're just I watching it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, other, other guys on the farms are doing other, other jobs, you know, uh, driving equipment and um, loading boxes and different things. So that's really interesting about it, too, is to just really break down with somebody, okay, what is your task? What do you need to be doing with your body during the day, and how can we help you do it in a way that's um, safer and, and uh, hopefully will lead to less injury? It's, it's definitely, it's brutal work, and, and the conditions outside, um, you're in the, you know, in late August, and they're outside in the heat, and um, the with the mosquitoes and, and bending over for long periods of time. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, uh, well, it makes <laughs> you rethink your bad day at work, right? It does. It does. <laughs> and my fallback is I grew up on a dairy farm and we had migrant workers, um, in Texas and I only had to do the work on the weekends cause that was kind of earning my keep, I guess. Mm-hmm. I only had to do it on the weekends and it was terrible. I hated it. I hated every second of it. So I have a very deep appreciation for the work they do. And I also found it interesting, um, kind of the, the path that they take starting in Florida in the spring. Some, a lot of these, um, workers will start with citrus. They'll move up through Georgia and South Carolina with peanuts and, and then North Carolina, cotton and tobacco and corn. And then, you know, some of them even through the winter will do Christmas trees. So mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's a year long thing. Then they get a couple months at home and then start all over again. Yeah. And most of them, like most of us are doing it because it creates opportunity for their families. Um, so, and that's got to be really hard to be away from your family all year long. Hard, hard for them and hard for, you know, wives back home, moms back home. And um, so it's, it is hard work. And I think that's part of, I mean, probably more than the physical assistance we provide. I think it really 
makes these guys feel good that people know they're there and that they care. Um, and just that human interaction. Definitely. Back to the physical therapy. Um, Campbell launched this uh, doctor of physical therapy program. It only seems like a few years ago, but I think we're going on five or six years now. Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> it, it's a full-fledged program now. And uh, so my question about that was uh, um, the demand for physical therapists. Obviously, we launched a medical school here a lot because of the demand for, for physicians. Same with our nursing school. Tell us about the demand for physical therapists and the jobs that your graduates are either getting now or can look forward to. Well, I think one thing that people don't really know about physical therapy um, until they until they learn more is that it's a very broad field. So people may not know that physical therapists treat infants in the neonatal intensive care unit, and they may not know that physical therapists treat um, women who may have pelvic floor issues after childbirth, in addition to rehabilitating people after spinal cord injuries or traumatic brain injuries, in addition to working with older folks. Um, PTs can work in occupational settings, so addressing ergonomics in a factory or something like that. So it's a really, really broad field, which I think is one of the great things about it because you can work in physical therapy for 40 years and do 20 different things. So our graduates go into a lot of different fields. They've, they've started to do a lot of different things, which is really cool. We even have a couple who have opened private practices, uh, which is really neat. And then obviously we have some that are working in hospital settings, uh, some in outpatient settings, and then hopefully a good number will go on and do more specialized training, uh, physical therapy. And another thing that people may not know is that physical therapy has residencies, uh, like physicians do, although that's a newer change in the field. Um, and then we also have fellowships, which is even a kind of more advanced than a residency. So there's a lot of specialty training that, that can occur. One of the things that attracted you to physical therapy was that it is hands-on, mm-hmm. um, and if you're introducing students to a broad variety of fields, I would imagine that Campbell has more interesting ways, even than the farm workers program that you introduce these students to the fields. Do you have a favorite experience to walk students through or a favorite way to engage students in the various fields of physical therapy? Um, I, that's a really good question. I think that's one of the things that Campbell really does well. Um, we're kind of a motley crew on our faculty, and uh, we have a lot of folks that have very diverse clinical experience and a lot of experience. And, and I think it's that clinical experience in particular that we bring to the table. And so there's a pretty large emphasis in our program on getting hands-on experience because we really believe in that. So um, I would say the, the easiest go-to answer to your question is that we incorporate a lot of actual patient experiences into our curriculum. Um, Dr. Green is a neurological specialist and she brings a lot of patients into her labs. Um, as do I, I bring a lot of children and families into my labs so that our students get the opportunity to actually experience what it's like trying to make a parent feel comfortable make a child feel comfortable, get a medical history, be treating them with their hands, but also managing their behavior. And our community here around Campbell has been incredibly supportive, um, Every semester, I send out an email and, yeah. and try the, to get uh, people to come. Bring, bring us your babies. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they do, yeah. uh, which is amazing and wonderful. Um, we also, so in addition to the farm worker clinic, we have a spring break trip to Honduras oh. uh, that we do. And that's actually kind of the brainchild of Colonel Pickard in clinical research. Um, so folks from pharmacy come, uh, folks from the osteopathic medicine school 
come sometimes, some years they do, some years they don't. Um, so that's another interprofessional experience. Um, we also have a pro bono clinic that's uh, free for Campbell faculty, staff, and their dependents. So students have the opportunity to participate in that. And I would say overall, we just have a really creative faculty. So people are always thinking of new ways to approach learners in different ways and get them engaged. Can I ask about the interprofessional? You, you bring that up. Um, I, I've heard that it's it's another selling point at Campbell that the um, student physicians work with the student physical therapists and the and it gives everybody a um, appreciation for each other's future professions and um, especially physicians getting a better appreciation of nurses and physical therapists. Do, do you see the, um, the interprofessional approach as, as that being the main, I guess, positive of it? Terrible question. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Um, well, I think it, it always... It didn't sound right coming out. <laughs> It always benefits the clinicians to have a better understanding of what other people on the team are doing. But I think even more importantly, if you look at the research, it really benefits the patient. So when everybody on the medical team is um, in good communication and understands the sort of boundaries of each other person's scope of practice and demonstrates respect for one another, that leads to a whole bunch of different positive outcomes for the patient. Um, include, including just a better perception of the healthcare experience. So I do think that's really valuable. I think, um, you know, our interprofessional education uh, department here does a really great job, and, and the departments that support them do a really great job of trying to organize specific events. Um, and I think, I think students do get a lot out of that. It's challenging because these are professional programs and the schedules that our students have in each of these programs are really demanding. So it can be challenging to coordinate more opportunities to get together, but, but I do think it's an important emphasis and hopefully one that these students will carry out into their professional lives. So I have been guilty in the past of confusing physical therapy and athletic training. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think there are probably a lot of people out there who, when we think of physical therapy, we think of people who give massages and mm. people who do stretches, but you are specifically involved in pediatric physical therapy. Could you tell us a little about that and your work and what you do for that? Sure. So pediatric physical therapy is actually pretty broad too. Uh, so the patients that I see or, or that I saw when I was practicing more would be anywhere from birth to 22 years old. So it's a really broad range. And you might, uh, as a pediatric therapist, you might see patients, like I said, in the neonatal intensive care unit, in the hospital, um, in their homes, through early intervention programs, in the public school system, in an outpatient clinic, in a group home. So there's lots of different contexts that, that you could possibly work in. Um, I love it because, you know, I guess I have my PT brain and my teacher brain. I love seeing a child or a person kind of start at one place and then grow into the person that they're meant to become. Um, and I like being a part of making that happen. Um, so I think it's a fascinating field. <laughs> I don't know if all my students would agree, but I, I really enjoy it. And um, currently one of the projects that I'm really involved in is doing outreach to childcare centers. Um, as I'm sure many people listening to this know, there's a, a sort of an issue with obesity in our, in our population. And that's also true of children. And that often starts really young. And so um, one of the things that I hope to do 
in my outreach is provide resources for parents and for teachers to just give them ideas uh, for how they can incorporate physical activity, both for themselves to help themselves be healthier and less stressed, and then also for their children. Um, Because it is important. I mean, another thing that a lot of people don't really understand is that when you're very young, your ability to move around in your environment is, is also intimately tied with your cognitive development, um, as well as your development of communication skills and um, interpersonal relationships. So it's all connected. Um, I might have rambled there a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> we don't mind. Um, you are an assistant, as an assistant professor of physical therapy, do you teach courses surrounding child development or do you have other areas that you're teaching students as well? Yeah, so I teach um, our pediatrics courses. I also uh, teach our prosthetics and orthotics class mm. and I help in numerous other classes, including our assistive and adaptive technology classes, our clinical reasoning classes, hospital-based practice, um, and probably a few others that I'm sort of missing right now, but service learning, that's another one. Um, Although those other courses are managed uh, and primarily run by other professors. Um, So yeah, so I teach a class in the fall that is all about evaluating and assessing pediatric patients. So that's kind of like what you do the first time you see them uh, to figure out where they need your help. Um, And then in that's in the summer and then in the fall. So right now I'm in the middle of my class about pediatric treatment. Um, you mentioned technology, and I may be, this may be a weird question, but mm-hmm. I imagine technology in, in the physical therapy field are starting to um, merge a lot more now, because when I think, of, you mentioned prosthetics, and I and you see stories about being fit with uh, new hands that are connected to your brain impulses, and I know a lot of that is technology-driven, but how involved are physical therapists in, in these inventions and these innovations? Well, so there's kind of a... Um I guess there's sort of two professionals that work really closely with that. So rehabilitation engineering is kind of the field or biomedical engineering. Those are the folks that are actually kind of designing those materials. And then you have prosthetists and orthotists who um, sort of, I would say, span the gap between those folks and physical therapists because they actually will build um Many times the orthotics, if not the prosthetics, they do the fitting and the initial testing. And then our job is to kind of do the training of how to successfully use it and then prepare the patient to be ready to use it. So if you think about a more traditional prosthesis, usually if you lose a limb, there's a lot of swelling that happens right after that limb is removed. And many times folks that are losing limbs um, are doing so because of chronic conditions. Right. So they've been sick for a while. Um, so we're helping them manage that swelling so that they can actually fit into a prosthesis. We're getting them strong enough and flexible enough so that they can actually put it on and walk around in it or use it if it's an upper extremity um, prosthesis. So we um, sort of, I would say, do the training and the education and then the physical rehabilitation. But yeah, there's a lot of new things, um, even 3D printing. Any, anything you've seen, I was going to say, anything that you've seen that's just blown your mind recently? or? Um, I mean, I think some of the things that you mentioned, the myoelectric devices are really, really interesting and, and just gets into just how fascinating the human brain is and right. its potential to be retrained and... I mean, physical therapists, even though physical therapy has been around a lot longer than we knew about neuroplasticity, that's what we do. We retrain the brain. Um, so, you know, those types of applications, um, you know, there has been some kind of early research about how 
3D printing could be used to create prosthetic devices much more cheaply, which would be particularly helpful for underserved patients, patients in third world countries. Uh, that's like insane, that. the idea of printing a limb or an ear or <laughs> just, yeah. yeah, it's almost it's science fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, that's fascinating, and, and we could probably just spend the whole rest of the time talking about that, but um, if, if we can shift gears one more time. Sure. Um, I'm going to pass this one to Kate, and Kate, you might want to sit up for this question. Oh, my gosh. She's <laughs> teasing me about my posture because I have the worst posture mm-hmm. in the office. Um, we communications people are mostly desk jockeys, although I do get to go out on an occasional field trip. So as a physical therapist, what is one thing that we can do to avoid being hunched little crones as we go about mm. our Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it's a tough question because it's definitely more than one thing. I guess I could live with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say if I had to focus on one thing, it would be to strengthen your core. Oh, I can't live with that. All right, all right. Um, Yeah, because that's sort of the foundation. Um, Some other things that you could do would be to work on strengthening your back. So um, think about how Superman flies through the air. Yes. Try to do that. And specifically... With a lot of green screen and... And uh, special effects. Yes. <laughs> you guys are in the communications department. You can figure that out, right? right. Um, but in particular for posture, it's about endurance, muscle endurance rather than muscle power. So um, if you're doing that Superman, you don't want to be necessarily like lifting heavy weights when you do it. You want to be getting up there and holding it. Okay. Yeah. All right, so Thanks. every day we're going to gather on the floor of the conference room and we're all going to hold the Superman pose. I like yeah. to think that in the last 20 seconds, everybody listening to this just sat up a little <laughs> bit straighter and tightened their backs a little bit. Um, and uh, that kind of leads to, to a question I had um, as well. I had back problems uh, a couple years ago, and this was around the time that I was doing a big article on the opioid epidemic. Mm. And just very ironically, my doctor prescribed for a slip disc 50 um, Percocet. And it scared the death out of me because I'm doing this story and I took a few of them and I said, no, I, I, I can't do it. So um, I imagine with the epidemic, and it's not as much in the news this year as it was last year, but it's still out there. Um, I imagine the need for physical therapy is even more important as an alternative to opioids. And um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This this is not really my um, realm of expertise because it's not really as much an issue. In well, the it's pediatrics. not ours either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but that was preamble to say that I actually did just publish an article um, that talked about um, other healthcare providers and other healthcare profession students' perceptions of working with RPT students in Honduras, and specifically their perceptions of physical therapists' role in managing pain. And that was really, that was one of the really interesting outcomes for me is that from the patient perspective, physical therapy is empowering. And when you think about um, the opioid epidemic, one, one of the issues is that it creates reliance, right, upon these medications. And so I think giving human beings ways that they can manage their own um, physical health and well-being is really important, and that's one of the things w- we can help with. Now, I don't, I don't want to say that opioids are never appropriate or, or you know, whatever. In, in many cases, they're necessary. Um, but the other thing that's interesting that I kind of learned as I was doing background research for this article is that 
folks in rural communities are uh, one of the groups that are particularly vulnerable to um, some of the issues that we're seeing in the opioid epidemic. Um, and part of that is due to the fact that we more often have uh, manual labor jobs like farming um, or mining or forestry um, in rural communities. And so people get in situations where they do hurt themselves, but they need to be able to work through the pain in order to sustain themselves. And the other thing um, about rural communities is that often they're very tightly knit. And um, that can actually be kind of a transmission vector mm -hmm. for opioids. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, going down to the corner and buying crack cocaine. Yeah. That's not how... Well, they gave me 50 Percocet. I only needed maybe five, and then right. I have 45, and I got this friend that, you know, hey, my back hurts too, and Yikes. and that's what it leads to. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, it, and just like you said, it's not someone who envisions themselves as a drug dealer. Yeah. It's someone who's trying to help out someone in their community. Sure. Um, and, and there's just maybe not great understanding about how potentially addictive they can be. The sort of second wave that we're seeing now is um, infants who are born with opioid addiction because their mm. mothers are using them. And that's a really complicated mm. issue. Um, the New York Times actually did a really great piece on it a month or two ago. Um, because depending on the state that you live in, there can be some pretty severe penalties for actually identifying yourself and seeking help. Um, so, you know, yeah. that's yeah. not an ideal situation. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, thank you so much. You just covered how physical therapy applies to <laughs> so many things from migrant workers to... We jumped around like a bit <laughs> there, but, but yeah. But we're excited to keep up with all the work that you guys are doing and hopefully follow you around to many more projects in the future. So thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you once again. It's uh, Dr. Catherine Noonan, Assistant Professor of Physical Therapy. And stick around because up next, we hung out at the tailgate for Campbell's first football game last week. And I talked to people about what makes the perfect tailgate and you'll want to listen. Okay, so it's about two hours before kickoff of uh, Campbell's first football game tonight against Chowan, and uh, the parking lot out here is starting to fill up, and there are people out here starting to do their tailgating, and uh, so I'm going to go around, and I'm going to talk to people who are tailgating out here in this 95-degree heat, and we're going to find out uh, why they're here and what makes a good tailgate. I'm here with Melissa Covington. And uh, Melissa, I made fun of you as I walked up because I thought you were with Chowan. You have a blue tailgate. You even have blue chairs over here. Tell me, tell me why. <laughs> it's just, um, we just got here from out of town. So we stopped at Walmart real quick and got a blue tent. <laughs> they were out of orange, I guess. No orange tents at Walmart. All right, who are you here to see tonight? You have anybody playing um, on the team? Or? Yeah, I got uh, my son, Aaron Covington, uh, red shirt, red shirt sophomore, so he's, he's here today. Hopefully he'll be playing in the game. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That would be awesome. Uh, it's hot out here tonight. Yeah. It is like 93, 95 degrees, and you guys are near the parking lot, so it's even hotter. Yeah, I'm uh, Y'all going to be all right here tonight? Oh, yeah, we're going to be good. I'm from Florida, from Tampa, Florida. We oh, feel good. Okay. Yeah, we used to it. <laughs> right, and uh, you got a grill going. You got some good smoke coming out of it. I'm so good. I'm asking everybody tonight, what's uh, what you cooking, and what's the key to a good tailgate? Hey, all the football players, when they get finished, come get all the food. Right. <laughs> we got plenty of it. What do you got tonight? Uh, ribs, chicken, oh, wow. hot dogs, hamburgers, sausages, everything. What's the one thing that you could not do without on a tailgate? Hot dogs. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all have a good night. You Thank you. I'm with Jeff Wimberly, and we are still about two hours from kickoff. And 
Uh, Jeff has his own little corner of the parking lot out here and he's by himself by his red truck and so I had to come over here and ask him some questions. Uh, um, you're enjoying it by yourself tonight it looks like. Uh, yeah I mean usually it fills in I mean it's Thursday so crowds gonna be late I guess. Yeah in your mind is, is August too early to start football because man it is hot out here tonight. <laughs> no I mean I kind of got a few years on yeah so this is I'm used to it. Uh, I, I think it's okay. As long as the rain doesn't come around, we're good. I'm asking everybody around here, what is the uh, key to a good tailgate? A good tailgate? Preparation. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to be able to make sure. Of course, in my case, it didn't all work out exactly as I planned, but that's okay. I'm here. I'm in the shade. I'm enjoying a little music, a little something to eat. You did get one of the few shady spots out here, so that was that was good planning. So what are you eating tonight? I opted to let Redneck Barbecue Lab get my food for me, so I stopped by and did some takeout. That's awesome. Red, I mean, I, I don't know if I've had that one before, but barbecue at a football game, you can't beat that, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to try it. It's just up the street, I-40, exit 319. Good advertising for them. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Take care. I'm with Campbell alumna Tara Wilson, 1989 graduate. She's out here with the Harnett County Alumni Chapter. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, and I know you guys are still setting up. I know it's awfully hot, but uh, so I'm going to guess one of the essentials is cold drinks, but what are the other essentials for a, for a good Campbell tailgate? You have to have your junk food. You need a selection of good chips. The dirtier and greasier, the better. Cheetos are fantastic and some sweet things. We've got donut holes and Oreos of several different flavors and all the good stuff. I do not see a grill out here, though. I don't see uh, the the like the hamburgers and hot dogs going. Is this is this just for junk food? We are rebelling. We didn't bring the grill. <laughs> it's too hot, so we brought everyone's bringing their own sandwich, and we're filling in the rest. Okay. Any extra excitement now that this is a full-fledged scholarship football program? Does that make does that make it a little cooler to come to Campbell games? It definitely does. We've been counting this down for three years now and waiting for the day. So really happy to see our red shirt players coming out on the field today. Yeah. We're all really pumped up about seeing them uh, roll humps out there. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, I'm with Todd Blake. Uh, before this, you said this was your first tailgate. Uh, tell us why you're out here tonight. Well, um, my son Austin Blake is a freshman football player here at Campbell. So this is our first Campbell football game. We're excited, so we drove up from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Oh wow! To, for this, and um, so we're excited. That's uh, that's quite a trip for this. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, we have family. Uh, we, my wife and I, grew up in Durham, North Carolina, so okay. we have a lot of family and friends in the Raleigh, uh, Durham area. So it's kind of a homecoming for us. So we're excited about it. And I see that you have uh, the essentials for a tailgate set up out here. I see you have the already have some of the Campbell chairs over here. You've got the table. Um, I'm going to ask you more about your son because uh, I, I'd like to know more about our first class of scholarship players. But to you, um, it's still August, but it's officially fall now. So tell us what are the essentials for a good tailgate? Well, you got to have the, you know, the, the team logo swag, and you have to have the uh, tailgating chairs and Bojangles chicken, of course, and you know sandwiches and. Does Bojangles make it all the way down to Atlanta? They do. They've uh, they, they made it to Atlanta in the last five years. So uh, that's a definitely a, a tailgating essential. Okay. And uh, like I said, it's a little hot out here. Is this, but you're from Atlanta. This is nothing to you, right? Well, I guess if you dress appropriately, it's fine. It's still hot no matter, you know, what you have on. But, yeah, a T-shirt and shorts, you know, tennis shoes, something comfortable. 
we're excited. So tell us about Austin. Like I said, this is the first group of scholarship players. Uh, what made him choose Campbell? I think he just fell in love with Campbell when he came here. Uh, he like he loved the coaching staff. You know, Coach Mentor and the staff were just you know so gracious and just uh, he just felt you know a warmth when he came here. And he does like the you know the size of Campbell. He always said he wanted to go to a medium medium sized school. Loved the curriculum that you know Campbell offered, and uh, it was just a, a great fit. Um, you know, to play football and to get a great education and just being around the coaching staff and the people here was was really uh, really good for him he loved it and he said this is where i want to be so he's a freshman but uh, is he going to see the field tonight i don't know i hope so uh but you know he's a freshman he has to pay his dues <laughs> right but uh i think he's enjoying it and you know they're gonna have a tough test tonight i think with sean but uh hopefully he'll get in he's number 62 so i'll have my eye on him did you play I played baseball. You know, I played football in, in you know in yeah. high school, but I played baseball in college. So uh, he's definitely uh, he's taking it to the next level, I guess. Well, you've got you've got the Campbell Under Armour shirt. You've got the hat. You've got the the swag guy here. So good luck tonight, and uh, I hope you enjoy your your tailgating experience. Well, Billy, thank you so much, and it's going to be fun. I'm here. I'm looking forward to these next four years.